fantastic. Um, the service has brought tears to my eyes. I usually just jump up in the pulpit and, and uh, just go for it like a dynamo. But the worship, Lucas team, it was just amazing. God is here. Uh, he is with us and um, it's a pleasure. I've got the reading. It's a longer one. So I don't like hearing my own voice too much. Would anyone like to volunteer to read the reading from Luke this morning? I've got it on our page here. Um, so from the RSV, or you may want to read it on the screen. I use the, the oh, that's the NRSV. Uh, okay, I've got the RSV because it's the best translation from the Greek. <laughs> they messed it up. They went too politically correct when they went to the NRSV. Maybe I'll just read it. Yeah. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that falls to me. And he divided his living between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took his journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in loose living. And when he had spent everything, A great famine arose in that country, and he began to be in want. So he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly have fed on the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. And put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and make merry. I love that translation. (laughs) That's the bad bit of the RSV. Celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what this meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Lo, 
these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never even gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours come, who has devoured your living with harlots, you killed for him the fatted calf. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to make merry and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, these are your words from your mouth. God the Son, we bow before you and your words. Teach us this morning. I humbly ask for your gift of unction and preaching and proclamation. And I ask for every heart and mind and ear to be open and for all of us to experience the healing, the rebuke, and the exhortation of Jesus' words. And this we ask in the name of the only Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. The title of this morning's sermon is This Brother of Yours. Traditionally, uh, this particular parable for years and years has been called the parable of the prodigal son because most of it in the first part, well, actually three quarters of it, is about the prodigal son. And yeah, of course it's about the prodigal son. But really, that's not the point of the story. The point of this story that Jesus is trying to bring about is the other son and his reaction to God's mercy. We've been wrong in calling it the parable son, missing out on the power of Jesus' message both then when he preached it and now today, so let's get it right and ask our Lord to speak to us this morning. This parable that's told by Jesus himself in Luke's gospel in a very unique way is aimed at Israel, by the way. Jesus' own people. Their hatred of Gentiles, which are non-Jews, and their hatred of Jesus for loving and welcoming and forgiving non-law of Moses abiding Gentiles and those outside of God's so-called special chosen Jews in the first century. Please don't think I'm being anti-Semitic, I'm being historical, so that's why I said first century Jews. And we see this in Jesus' healings, touching people that were Levitically unclean. He would touch, he would hold, he would love, he would hang out with. 
He would welcome those which was supposed to be Israel's job who were outside of Israel in the temple and he would go to welcome them into God's temple. And you remember when he went into the temple at the beginning of John's gospel and ransacked the temple, it wasn't because they were trading money. It was because he says, this house was supposed to be a house of for all nations, not just the Jews, but you have made it a den of thieves. In other words, you've chosen this as your place and kicked every other nation out. You've become exclusivist. And as Christians, we have to learn the difference between exclusivity and being particular. We worship not just any God, We worship the only true God revealed in Jesus Christ. That's being particular. But saying that that God belongs to only one nation is being exclusive and it's wrong. From verse 11 of today's parable, Jesus says there was a man who had two sons. Sounds like the beginning of a joke, doesn't it? A man walks into a bar, yeah. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that falls to me. And he divided his living, get this, between the two of them. People miss that bit. The two sons of the same father who he called his own, the youngest asks his father for his share of the inheritance while the father is alive. Now, too many people often read too much into this. And I don't like to bag other people, so I make it a theological critique. Timothy Keller is slightly wrong when he says he wished his father was dead by wanting his inheritance now. It's quite a common practice in first century Judaism to bless your children, to start a family, a farm, or whatever. So he makes a little bit too much out of that. I hope I'm being kind with that. But it's what he does with his inheritance. What does he do with it? That shows his values toward his father, who, by the way, in this is God, God the Father, and whether he resembles this father's character. This is what this will show. And please note, the older brother, the poor so-called little goody two-shoes, the older brother, also got his inheritance at the very same time. And that's so often missed, and we forget about it. It says in verse 12, And the father divided the living between the two of them. From verse 13, no time is wasted, saying, Not many days later the youngest son gathered all he had and took his journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in loose living. There's a child here, so we all know what that means, don't we? Yeah, yeah. A fast process. Gets his money, he's out of there. When he throws all his inheritance away on loose living with harlots, that which is supposed to be cherished, the inheritance, as a special gift from the Father, is squandered, not like the good old older brother who stays around daddy's home, probably for different reasons. 
Jews were so perfect, or they thought, in their law observance. I say that sarcastically. Because this is at the heart of Jesus' parable. In verse 14 it says, And when the younger son had spent everything, absolutely everything, at the same time a great famine arose in that country and he began to be in want. He began to lack the basics. He is reduced to a beggar. He's poor. And verse 15 says something very comforting. Not comforting, but fronting. So went, and get the wording of this, and joined himself. For a rich Jew, that's not good, particularly if he's gone to a far country that is a Gentile country. Joined himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields, get this for a Jew, to feed his swine. They're not kosher. And he would gladly have fed on the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. Do you feel the desperation? What if this was your son or daughter? From riches to rags. More than that, the terrible, levitically unclean picture that Jesus is purposely painting here will come in at the end because Jesus does the best sermons and parables. He's setting it up at the start for a whammy at the end. This Levitically unclean servant of this man selling himself into the service of a foreigner to feed his pigs. Wow. Sleeping with hookers, feeding pigs. Not a good picture, is it? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. In the words when he said he was joined, from the Greek it means enslaved. Jews hated being enslaved to anyone. So there's another side of the picture. To this foreigner in service to feed swine, he's gone from a son to a slave. an unclean beast in the eyes of first century Jews. It even notes he was so hungry he would have gladly fed on the pods the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. I think I would have stolen a few of the pods. He was starving, however, as any counsellor, psychiatrist or psychologist will tell you, it is often when we are at our very bottom when we have nothing left, when we are hopeless, that is at the point where we either go one way or the other, but it can be the most redeeming point of saying, I need help, I need to do whatever I need to do to change and to fix the situation. And when God is involved, that is exactly what happens. In verses 17 to 19, 
while he ponders his hopeless situation he now inhabits, compared to what he walked away from, he would have been rich. He had servants himself. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? But I perish here with hunger. Here's that bottom. Starvation, you can't get worse than that. He will die. I will arise. He's taken the good part. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Get this, treat me as one of your hired servants. Well, he's already a servant anyway. He's already made that journey. Now, some very key words here when he came to himself, meaning the situation brought him to his senses. And that's why as Christians, when people are struggling in sin, we have to be merciful because mercy draws people to God. Judgment, no matter what them does, pushes them away. He got what he'd done wrong. And what is even more powerful in this story is instantly does something about it. I'll arise and go to my father and say this. Why? Why did he think after squandering the whole inheritance on harlots, feeding pigs, (laughs) living that life of non-Judaism, why did he think he could actually even make that decision to go back to his father? Yes, but why did he have hope? Because he knew his father to be compassionate. He knew his father to be merciful. And he knew his father to be forgiving. And that is the message the church has to come out with rather than being known in the world as people who say what we are not liking. We need to be known for who we love, God and his world. Wow, this is the true God of Jesus, the forgiving, the compassionate, the loving one. It then said the sun rose, arose immediately after he's made his decision, knowing his father's mercy. Christians in the world so need to get the character of God right when sharing him with others in our words and our actions so that they know our non-Christian seers, hearers, they're watching who the God we serve is and what he's like. That no matter what, they can run to daddy to get proper help rather than condemning people with the image of a wrathful God who holds grudges and throws down lightning bolts on you if you do something wrong. Further, a lot more of us as Christians too. You know that? 
a lot more of us Christians, we're running back into the arms of daddy's healing rather than retreating to the pig farm in self-condemnation when we mess up. And there's been studies, and Patty, you probably know about this, that condemnation reinforces an addictive cycle. It makes it worse. That's why it says in Romans, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if we really have God's love and mercy in our hearts as well as our minds and our actions, people will come. People will be changed. It's not God who pushes people away. It's people. I don't know whether it was G.K. Chesterton But someone said the biggest cause for atheism in the world is Christianity. I'd add Islam to that, but anyway. Um, But it it doesn't take them away from, (laughs) from the real God. The youngest son has come to bottom now. But he's realized his father too merciful and decided to return his to his father, admitting he wasn't worthy to be called his son, that's his view, and plead for just a role as a servant. He underestimates the mercy of his father, like we do. But then the most amazing thing happens in this series of events. Listen carefully. In verse 20, it says something powerful that should bring tears to all our eyes and gratefulness as we realize the only true God's nature in Jesus Christ. The son had just decided to go home with his tail between his legs and get this in verse 20. It's so powerful. But, now, it's strange, but in Greek, the Koine Greek, the word is Allah. It's not Allah, the God, but it's what we call a strong adversative. So it means forget all the other stuff that's gone on, look forward to what's about to happen. So when you see but in the Bible, that's what it's meaning. But, while this younger son was still yet at a distance, he's just made the decision. Far away, his father saw him. Hallelujah. And had compassion, next word, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. It sends shivers up my spine. The son had just made the decision and this is the response of our God. Don't ever condemn yourselves. If you're struggling with sin, it's the best thing to do. Because if you're not struggling, you don't care. If you're struggling your Christian walk, that's okay. You know why? You're bothering to. God's in it with you. The son had just started the journey, yet the father was already looking and waiting for him to return. This is the God of grace. And and I love how the epistle writers, like my favorite Paul, the God and Father of Jesus Christ, he defines who God is. The God and Father 
revealed in Jesus Christ alone, who is God the Son. This is this true God. He had compassion, ran to meet him, embraced him, and kissed him. And the son hasn't even groveled yet, hasn't said sorry, hasn't asked for forgiveness like he said he was going to. That's God, yeah, that's the mercy. It's his nature. His son had only just turned back and God's gone after him. The God of Jesus saw him at a distance and did not wait for him to come groveling. So do not ever think you have to grovel before God. Reverence yourself. Worship, but you never have to grovel. And get this, the last part of verse 20. I still have to say it again. Compassion, he ran. So God made up the distance that this guy couldn't make up. And then took him and kissed him. If this is not the love of God, I don't know, I don't know what is. What false monster God, I've got little G here, <laughs> has the church often preached to the world that just loves to condemn people? And they're not with Christ because of that. And that image that locks people up in condemnation, unable to come to our senses and change. And we condemn ourselves in our struggle with sin rather than knowing that God runs to be with us in our struggles and in our sin. Yes, even the ones we find shameful, God does not. He sees it anyway. He hears our thoughts. I always say to new Christians when I disciple them, don't think God doesn't know. The best thing to do when you're struggling with sin is to go and be with God even when you're in the middle of that temptation, when you're in the middle of that sin. Go and be with God and say, I want to do this and I know I'm not supposed to. Help. Help. God that runs to meet us, the God and Father of Jesus Christ. Now the son, after he's already been received, rehearses what he'd said. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, and does the verse. However, the stunning response of the father is he doesn't even give attention to those words. Now, I'm not saying we don't need to ask for forgiveness. I'm just saying forgiveness is taken for granted here. He ignores his statement, and in verse 22, grace is poured upon grace to this returned son as the father commands his servants. Get this. Bring quickly the best robe. No, not the one from the thrift shop. The best robe. He's restoring his son to his former place and put it on him. A servant puts on the robes. He's now 
no longer a servant, he is a son. He didn't have to put his own robe on. And put a ring on his finger, a ring of sonship. And put shoes on his feet, restoration of dignity in that culture. Restore him fully. The father has instantly and publicly restored his dignity and declared him as his son in front of everybody, the servants. And they would have known. And then it's time for celebration. Do you know Tony Campolo? Yeah. He wrote a book, and I haven't had a chance to read it because when you're studying and doing theses, you never get to read the books you read, you want to. <laughs> you, you do, but the ones that are a little bit softer. He wrote a book called The Kingdom of God is Like a Party. It is. When the kingdom of God and our hope is talked about, it's talked about as a feast, a party, a celebration. Isn't that, is, isn't that what's happening here? For his returned son, he's having a celebration. Verse 23, the father commands, now bring the fatted calf. That only happened for special guests. And kill it and let us eat and make merry. <laughs> Let's party. Daddy, our God, simply celebrates when we come to him. Simply celebrates over our return. That's his very nature. What then? The father rejoices with his son, but he also rejoices for us when we come home to him. In verses 23 to 24, it says, let us eat and make merry. I'm going to keep using that because it sounds funny because one kid said in a sermon when I, there was another translation, make merry. I said, no, 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 make merry. <laughs> like celebrate. For this, now get this, my son. He sees that? My son, ownership. My son was dead and in present tense, is alive. Past tense, he was lost, present, and is found. And they began to celebrate. Wow. All of this parable represents both Jews and Gentiles, sinners being forgiven and welcomed as sons of God and all the nations of the earth. It confronted the Jews of the day. They would not have liked to have heard this parable. It heals, yet it also confronts us this very day with a merciful, forgiving God. And you might say, well, why would a merciful, forgiving God confront me? A God who runs after the most sinful people to restore them, to forgive them as if they'd never sinned before and make them new creation. Well, the second part will show us that. And this is the main part of the parable. And then I'll tell you why people don't like God being merciful sometimes. 
It confronted the first century Jews with their lack of forgiveness, their exclusivity. You're out, you're in. You're clean, you're unclean. When God, and it applies to how do we feel when God forgives somebody who has hurt us so deeply? And I'm sorry, you'll struggle with that. I struggle with that for the rest of my life. We will all will. It's a constant practice Christians have to do. And prayer is the only way to do it. Pray for those who hurt you. Bless those who persecute you. It rolls off the tongue really easily. <laughs> Completely different when it comes down to practice and doing it, isn't it? Wow. So this wonderful message of this merciful God is now going to come to the crux as Jesus comes in with the older son. Because Jesus wants to restore people who have hurt you too. He wants to do what he did to the prodigal for them. And you know what? That could be the best thing that could happen for your relationship. That could heal you. He wants to restore them, forgive them as if they had never sinned. And make them new creation. The main punchline of this parable and its reason for being are about to be unveiled by Jesus right now from verse 25. Now his elder son. <laughs> representing the Jew, the goody two-shoes. Never done anything wrong in his life. Was in the field. Of course he was. He was working. And he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what it meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. That's all the father was concerned about. He'd received him safe and sound. But get verse 28. What is the older son but he was angry and refused to go in and celebrate the forgiveness. The father heard this and came out to the elder son and entreated him. He begged him to come in and celebrate. But what's the older son's response? Who takes pride in doing everything right, perfect mosaic law observance, he says to the father in verse 29, all these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. That's probably his first lie. Yet you never gave me even a kid. Now, that, that's a goat. That's not a child. Yeah. He's talking about that, yes. That I might make merry with my friends. Exactly. But when, and get this, listen to this, but when this son of yours, he's divorced him as his brother, this son of yours came, who has devoured your living with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Absolutely. Boasting in his pr 
proud salvation in Judaism, his observance of the law. He'd worked so hard and perfectly and fervently in his own eyes for the father and his outrage that his sinful brother, a failed Jew, or could represent a Jew, a Gentile, it, there's a, a debate in um, scholarship, is simply being forgiven and healed by Jesus. And notice again the language by which he divorces himself from any family association with his forgiven brother, this son of yours. No doubt as to where he's put his brother. Then the father says, after the son is angry, at the mercy and love of the father, forgetting that this is what makes us sons of the father, being merciful as God is merciful. Forgetting no matter how perfect we think we are, we're not, God is. And Jesus commands us what? Be merciful for the Lord your God is merciful. This son of yours. How sad. The father responds and puts him in line pretty quickly though. <laughs> Two big, big facts should shame him from verse 31. He looks at him and says, well, would have looked at him obviously. Son, you are always with me. You're always with me. With God, shouldn't that be our reward that we are with him? At the end of time, God is with us now. This is a foretaste of what heaven will be. Worship for Christians is where heaven overlaps earth and we get to meet with God. You are always with me. That in itself should be a reward for the older son. And then he says, all that is mine is yours. All that is mine is yours. Even though he's got his inheritance already, he said, all that is mine is yours. That's God. All that is God's is ours to bless us. Wow. Talk about convicting him. We all whinge, especially this eldest son, about all we do for God. We do it. We often do. Oh, why didn't you do this, God? I think he knows best. And sometimes the world is just, sorry, a terrible place. And God is not a puppet maker God with strings that controls everything. And if you just look around the world at what's happening, people say, well, they, they ask that question, oh, if God is good and loving and merciful, what is it let evil happen? Well, God didn't do the evil people did. And Satan. We whinge about the little we get back often and forget the reward is simply in being known by God and loved by this true God. And the fact that all that is God's is yours. All that is God's is yours. His love, his mercy, everything he has is for us. That's why we use that word inheritance so much in the Bible. God's kingdom, 
the celebration, the continual one. Wow. But now the command from the Father and the instruction for what his eldest son. And we as the church should be doing as our mission come forth in the Father's words to the eldest son in verse 32. I love this. And he speaks to the older son. We had to celebrate. Had to. There's no other choice when someone comes back to God, when someone's healed, when someone is brought back to life, when someone is forgiven. We have to celebrate. How can we not? We had to celebrate and be glad. And get the next words in Scripture. For this brother of yours, puts them back together. For this brother of yours, it's a really gentle slap. He reverses the rejection of the eldest. He was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Hallelujah. This is at the heart, brothers and sisters, of God's mission in the church today. To seek, yes, the prodigals, but not be like the elder son too. And I think it has to come reverse for the church to succeed. We have to deal with ourselves. And I often say to the churches I preach at, we should all introduce ourselves. Hi, I'm John. I'm a sinner. I'm imperfect. So, hi, I'm John. I'm a sinner. Start with ourselves. <laughs> you can say it too. We don't want to self-deprecate too much. But it's true. The church is a healing place for sinners. Just like Alcoholics Anonymous and all those other groups, they admit what they are. And when you admit what you are, you can change. And with our true God, when you admit what you are, he will change you. This brother of yours. Now you know why the title of the sermon. This brother of yours. Bring, and this is our mission, bring the life of the gospel to the dead in spirit and run with God to embrace, to kiss, to welcome, to hug and forgive why is it that Christians across the world, when I consult for churches, why is it that Christians, I'm not saying this church, we're perfect here, but um, why, why is it that, that Christians find it hardest to forgive? This is a loving community. I've, I've, I haven't been in a church where I've felt so much love. I'm serious. I was crying in worship this morning. Lucas and, and Tina was just amazing. Um, I'm consulting for a Lutheran church at the moment. It's, it's all organ stuff. And, and I love high worship. I do the robes when I do for the Anglicans or the Episcopalians, whatever. But the worship this morning, I was bawling. It was just amazing. So God is here. Now, and I wasn't expecting it. So God blessed me here today. So thank you. We need to run with God. We need to embrace. We need to kiss the outsider, but get ourselves right as the eldest sons first. And get outside our little cloisters in which we're comfortable. The day the church focuses on its own self 
self-preservation, it becomes like Judaism. We don't exist for ourselves. We exist for Jesus. In fact, that's why we're called the body of Christ. We are Jesus' literal body in the world doing what he does. And one of my lecturers, Scott Stevens, in my first year, I remember he said, the day when the church stops doing what the church is supposed to do, it can no longer be called the church. In vital conclusion to applying this parable this morning, the Jews in this parable and we, the church, who are called to love all people many, many times fail. I do. We all do. Keeping the strong barricades of our traditions, the way we do things, things we may not even be aware are a barricade. Internal community. Gate shut, heart shut, our own tradition and turf protected when the church, and I'm speaking the church in the world here, the church nor Israel was never meant to exist for itself. I'm saying that again but for God to work by and through his Holy Spirit to touch the people of this world and reach out with the good news of the kingdom of God. Secondly, this parable confronts us this very day with a merciful, forgiving God who runs after people like me, who was the most sinful person before a, a dramatic conversion. God had to do a bit of dragging on my leg and other parts of my body and arms. And we're confronted with a God who wants us, and we don't feel quite comf- comfortable doing that often because we don't know how. All you've got to do is be like Jesus. Love like him. Regardless, was it St. Francis of Assisi who said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. We must be the loving father from the parable who runs after the most sinful people, not publicly condemns them. That's not the church's job. We're to speak truth to power and hold them accountable but we are not a voice of condemnation. We are a voice of proclamation of the good news. When do, we, when do we lose that word in Christianity? The good news of the kingdom of God. In other words, the good news of God's eternal party. <laughs> I had, this, I, I had a, a church one day, I said, the good news of the kingdom of God, and I explained it in depth. And, and the wonder of new creation. And, and, and then I said, like this, I said, don't get excited. So I'm so glad. I'm so glad you got excited this morning. <sighs> Let's allow ourselves to be like our daddy, huh? And let's pray that he makes us not like the older son. But be willing to admit we may be like the first one. And God can probably do more with that, as we've seen. And remember to reach out with the good news. We have to celebrate. 
we have to celebrate for this brothers and sisters to be politically correct. <laughs> Even though the Bible doesn't have political correctness. Like man, woman, man. It's still got man in it. We have to celebrate for the ones that God will bring in that were dead and will come to life, that were lost and are found. The sermon in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. God and Father of Jesus, you are merciful. We remember Jesus' words where he takes the Old Testament Torah where it says, be holy for the Lord your God is holy, meaning exclusive in that context. And he transforms it into be merciful for the Lord your God is merciful. Make us that. Fall by your Holy Spirit now. Come, Holy Spirit. Minister to us. In the name of Jesus, just touch every life here with your love, the release of condemnation, forgiveness. And even if we are the eldest son, you can still do anything with us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.